Hello and welcome to the best damn Tennessee Titans podcast out there. This is Two Tone Uncensored. Of course, I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. We have a lot to cover, a really big show for you today. Very excited to get into it. First thing I want to do is something a little bit different. Uh, it just kind of... I've gauged the temperature of the Titans fan right now, and I've noticed two things that I I've really disagree with. And one, I, I you know I'm very against one. I can see the point that's being made, but I still disagree. Let's start off with these, and like we'll call this "What the hell are you thinking, Titans fans?" And you know I love you out there, but there's a few things I think you're going off the rails on, getting a little head, a little into crackhead territory. First is Mike Malarkey. When Mike got here, we were a team that won five games in two seasons now with two years almost two years under Mike Malarkey we're at least going to have 17 wins in two years maybe 18 wins in two years and maybe in the playoffs for the first time in about a decade that's huge it's absolutely huge I I can understand the grievances that you have but a lot of it comes down to managing your expectations a lot of fans came into this year expecting us to be an 11-win team, expecting us to win the division, expecting all of these big you know, goals for us that we haven't accomplished in a very, very long time. And we didn't. We're, we, you know, we might still be in the playoffs, but we're not going to be a 10-win team. We're not going to be an 11-win team. We're, you know, we're not going to win our division. But that doesn't make Mike Malarkey a bad coach because he did not meet your expectations. It makes him a good coach in the fact that we have gotten this far under him. And I know he hasn't done it all by himself. John Robinson's been a godsend. You know, he's gotten a lot of better players for us. A lot of influx of talent has come to Nashville for sure. And, and we're seeing that with, you know, guys like uh, Derek Henry, who's been, you know, very good for us this year, and getting guys like DeMarco Murray. You know, I mean, we were a terrible running team. Now we have two really good running backs. Um, you know, there's it, it has been a lot to do with John Robinson, but... The players have truly reacted to Mike Malarkey. He is loved in that locker room. He has changed the attitude in that locker room. My point is, is it safe to say that John Robinson played a hand in this and that it's not all Mike Malarkey, but it's also not safe to say that Mike Malarkey didn't have any role to play in this. You know, the the team reacted to him, not to John Robinson. The team got behind him, not John Robinson. That was his doing. He's a motivator. That's the type of coach that you're going to get with Mike Malarkey. I do think his system has merit, and I'm obviously talking about the exotic smash mouth. It does have merit. We've seen it work. I don't think that Terry Robisky is the guy to run it for you. I also think we need to get an offensive coordinator that can work with Marcus. We need to upgrade at quarterback coach. How much sense does it make for Jason Michaels to be here anymore? You have a disciple of Ken Wisenhunt working in a system that could not be more different than Ken Wisenhunt's system. A guy that's never played at this level before. A guy that has no true experience to really draw from to help out Marcus. He played at a small school in college where he had a lot of success, but he's never played at the big stage you know, Marcus has been playing at a bigger stage his entire college and pro career than Jason Michaels has ever attempted. We need to bring in someone that can truly help Marcus. Now, I brought this up on an earlier show when we had Cody Milholen on with us. I should say he's the one that brought it up, not me, but brought it to my attention. If you really think about it, Terry Robisky is not a quarterback, never played quarterback. He's not a quarterback-minded guy. Um, Jason Michaels has never played on a big stage. The only person that Marcus can truly draw experience and learn from at the quarterback position on this team is Matt Castle. That's it. You know, Michaels hasn't played at this level. He's never played 
in the NFL. He doesn't know the challenges of playing in the NFL. Truly doesn't know. Terry Rubisky did play quarterback in high school, but that was in like the 70s last time that he's actually played quarterback, and he never played it at a higher level than high school. We need a guy that can come in and can really mentor Marcus Mariota and push him to that next level. We don't have that guy right now. I think that's a big reason why you see Marcus regress. I've said it before, though. I think that also has to do with his weight. But I think that has to do with a big reason. Is Matt Castle is the only guy that he can lean on that has true experience in what Marcus Mariota is going through being an NFL-level quarterback. I think those two need to be replaced. But I don't think Malarkey does. You know, Malarkey has this team behind him. Everybody on this team loves playing for this guy. They come out and they play their heart out for this guy. And, and it shows on the field. It just, the offense has been out of sync all season long. It has been. The defense has been very good for the majority of the season. I mean, you can point out a few quarters this year where they really didn't play. And, you know, all of that Houston game, to be honest. But outside of that, they've had a really good season, our defense has. I mean, a very good season. We've been awesome against the run. We've done... You know, middle of the road against the pass, but given where we came from last year, that's a huge improvement. With how, with the young guys that we've have showing the promise that they have in that secondary, I mean, great things to come, obviously. And they're doing it without a pass rush. On the offense, we've just been out of sync. Mariota's been out of sync from you know from the first snap of the season up until now. Murray's been hurt a lot. You know, Derrick Henry has shown a lot of promise. The wide receivers have been either unhealthy or you know, just no no shows, just not you know, not making a difference in football games. But again, you know, you have to put a lot a lot of that blame on Marcus Mariota's shoulders because he has not been performing at the level that we are used to. This year is not the year that we expected it would be, but it is not time to get rid of Mike Malarkey because of that. He helped us get out of the basement of the AFC South two years in a row. We have contended for the division title. We have contended for the playoffs this is a team that's headed in the right direction. We kind of stalled a little bit this year, and that's going to happen sometimes. We have a lot of young players coming in, a lot of new faces coming in, especially on this offensive side of the ball, a young quarterback that's still trying to figure it out. We need to bring in people that can help him, but getting rid of Malarkey is not the way to go here. You know, Then you're talking about getting a new everything. Marcus is a complete new system, learning from scratch again. You go back to his rookie year. You're resetting Marcus to his rookie year. That's not the way to handle this right here. He is... You need to get a new offensive coordinator that can run this offense, that doesn't get too cute, that finds matchups and utilizes them. Something that Terry Obiski has been very bad at all years, finding those matchups and utilizing them. Do that. Get a quarterback coach that has true NFL experience that can truly help out Marcus. Do that. Then I think you'll see things turn around. Mike Malarkey's still a guy that this system can work. I see everybody say that, oh, it's a broken system. It worked all last year. Our offense was very good last year. We were winning in spite of our defense last year. This year, our defense stepped up and our offense, you know, was stale. It was. It it took a step back. But I think a lot of that has to do with play calling. You know, we've said it all year long. You've said it all year long. It's play calling. You know, the guy calling the plays is not Mike Malarkey. I think it's time to we make a switch at OC, we make a switch at quarterback coach. It's not time to make a switch at head coach. However, I do know the calling for Mike Malarkey is not going to stop just because I make this rant. I know you're going to see Bruce Arians leaving, and you're going to see this guy leaving, and that guy leaving, and everybody's always going to bring up John Gruden's name even though he's not going anywhere. And the grass is going to look greener, and you're going to want a new guy. But just remember, we were a five-win team. We have not had a competent coach 
since Jeff Fisher left. And, you know, a lot of people argue if Jeff Fisher is a competent coach or not. But since Jeff Fisher left, for sure we have not had a good head football coach. We finally have a guy that has us competitive. We are fighting for a playoff spot in Week 17. Last year we were fighting for a playoff spot in Week 16. We finished second in the division both years. We are... A, f- a team, we're a competitive football team that has an identity, that has a future, that has players that can take us to the next level. We just got to make the changes that'll make that right. We have not been able to say that in a very, very long time, and you know since the Jeff Fisher era, and and now we're seeing it with Mike Malarkey. So chill off on the Mike Malarkey firing stuff. He's doing a good job. We just need to keep making improvements. But right now, he's, he's doing a fantastic job considering where he was when he started this job and where this team was to where this team is now. So manage your expectations. Don't get mad when he doesn't meet your expectations. And two, remember where we came from. There's one more guy that everybody's given up on that I don't think it's time to give up on quite yet. And that's DeMarco Murray. Now, I will say this. I can see your point. On this one, I can see your point, and I think you might be right. You might be right that he's getting close to the end of his career. He might be done. We might have seen the last great days of his career. You might be right. I won't say that you're not, because you could be. He will turn 38 days after the Super Bowl. You know, we all know what happens to running backs over 30. We all know, you know, that that is the cutoff for running backs in the NFL. And we've heard it a million times before. At this point, it's a, it's almost a cliche, you know that that thirty yard that thirty year line for running backs. So I get that, I understand that. However, this is a guy that's been playing with injuries most of the season. You know, he's had a hamstring injury, sorry, hamstring injury. Um, then you have the the MCL, and we'll talk about that later in the show. He's a guy that's been bumped up and bruised all season long. Hasn't really been able to get into form. Also, the passing game being stagnant puts a lot more pressure on him and um, Henry. Although you can make the argument, Henry's been a lot better this season. I mean, it's hard not to agree with that at this point. You look at these two running backs right now. Derrick Henry rocking a 4.7 average for the season. He actually has more yards than DeMarco Murray at this point on like about 40 less carries. And he also has only one less touchdown. You know, Derrick Henry has obviously far outplayed DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray is getting older. And, you know, like I said, that is scary. It is something that you got to be thinking about when you're talking about negotiating and his future with this team, obviously. He spent the year banged up. You know, Henry, luckily for us, has been very healthy for the entire season and has been really playing um, very well. Here's my point that I want to be making here. I agree it might be the end. I won't say it is the end. I'm not going out on that limb. I, you know, I've seen running backs have good seasons at 31, 32, 33, and 34. I think we've all seen it. You know, it is rare, but we have seen it, and it normally is guys that have had pretty awesome careers. And, you know, Derek or DeMarco, Henry, DeMarco Murray, Jesus, has had a, uh, a pretty stellar career. So my point is don't get rid of him just yet. I think that you don't want to move on from DeMarco Murray just yet. We want to keep him here. We want him still. I will say this. I think Derrick Henry is going to be your starter next year, or at least a 50-50 split. Derrick Henry is showing that he is getting to that point where he is really ready to take over this team and be you know, the bell cow running back. And, you know, Murray is aging. But what you saw this year is not 
what 30-year-old DeMarco Murray is going to look like. It's what injured 29-year-old DeMarco Murray looks like. But a healthy 30-year-old DeMarco Murray is going to get back to that 4.0 line. He's going to be better. And you keep that change of pace. You, you keep a guy on this field that can be a great mentor um, for DeMarco, for Derrick Henry. Sorry. I promise I'll get their names right eventually. It's not like I've been doing this show for 80 weeks or anything. Uh, but, yeah, I think the, that you need to keep um, Murray around. I, I think that he's got a lot of experience that you know Henry can turn to when he needs advice, when he's teaching um, Henry stuff that's going to better his game. And I know it's probably not going to be the cheapest thing in the world to keep him around. I think you can get away with a pay cut here. But, you know, I think it's a guy you keep around if it's the right price. Now, if he's trying to get, like, the same exact contract he did last time, then, you know, it might be best to to cut ties and move on. But I would like to see him stay in Nashville. I'd like to see him, you know, be here for the next couple of years to help Henry get into that position to keep being, uh, you know, something a weapon in this offense to use. We see how he catches out of the backfield, how he runs an open field. You know, it's... It's evident that this guy has a lot of talent, and I still think he has something left in the tank. You know, I know a lot of you disagree with that, and I can see why. You know, I can see why. It's not crazy to think that, but I would still like to see him around. I know a lot of you disagree with that, but that's my point of view. He's a great mentor for a young running back coming up, and I don't think he's done. I think he has something left in the tank to give to this team. You know, I think that 30-year-old Murray is going to be better than David Flewellen as a backup to Henry. And I don't think a lot of you can make the argument that he's not going to be. So that's my point. It will come down to the price and negotiations, obviously. But if he's willing to take the pay cut, which I think he should be at this point in his career, he knows where he's at. And he's a guy that's pretty honest with himself. You know, then keep him. I think you keep him around in Nashville. But let's move on to the show proper here. We spent a lot of time of me bitching at you guys. I'm done. I'm sorry. I had to get it out there, and I'm done. I hope everyone had a great holiday, even if the Titans did lose their third straight football game. I hope everyone had a great holiday, got all the, the presents that they wanted to get, spent a lot of time with your family uh, and friends, and you know had a, had a warm and awesome uh, holiday. I know I had a good one. So I hope you did as well. Let's move into this L.A. Rams game. Uh, we lose 27-23. First off, first thing I want to say is we played a solid game against a great team. The last two weeks, we have laid eggs against bad football teams. This week, we came in and we played well. I was impressed by the way that we played. We got screwed by the officials. That was part of this. You know, The NFL has already admitted that Walt Anderson, who was the uh, referee in that game, and his officiating crew made a mistake when they negated the Titans' onside kick in the third quarter. NFL's already came back and apologized to the Tennessee Titans. That should have been our ball. And I know that you guys have all been saying, I've seen it everywhere on Facebook and Twitter, you guys agree. And you know you would be um, insane to disagree. That was obviously a really bad call. It was referees and an officiating crew that got over their head and didn't know how to come back from it. It was obvious when you saw that. You know, First they said it was a timeout. Then they said it was a penalty. Wait, there's no penalty. There's no timeout. And, and then it was, all oh, we kicked too early. There was a lot going on in that play, and I think it just confused a refereeing crew, and they were like, hey, let's just try this again. And that'll happen. It sucks that it happens to us in a position like this in a tight football game that you know, if we win, it means a lot for this team. It means we're likely in the playoffs. Um, you know, It would have been us in the playoffs if we could have won that game. So it sucks the way it happened, but you know, such is life, it happens. Move on. And it wasn't the only reason we lost this football game. 
Uh, and a game only separated by four points, though. That could have been the difference between a win and a loss. But let's move into things that I didn't like to see what else we could have done better. Uh, Mariota's interception thrown very early in this game was a very bad decision. He tried to thread the needle, and even if the guy that got the ball and uh, intercepted the ball wasn't there, the guy behind it would have made a play on the ball. And, you know that He threw into a very tight window that was double-covered. Bad decision. We've seen Marcus make some bad decisions. He made another one in this game. Uh, you know, Fourth down, game on the line. And I think everybody's been talking about this. It's clear as day he had Delaney Walker wide open on that fourth down. Instead, tries to run out um, to his right. Gets a lot of pressure on him. Ends up throwing you know, a lame duck into the ground. It just didn't see him. I don't think he made that read. He just did not see him there. And it would have been a first down. Kept the drive alive and you know, kept our hopes of winning this game alive. Those are two big mistakes that Marcus made in this game. But outside of that, he played in like an all right game. If you look at him in golf, they both threw the same amount of passes, completed the same amount of passes. And golf had more yards, but golf had way more yards after the catch. And I'll get into that into a second. Way more yards after the catch. If I would be interested. And I almost sat down and did the math, but I didn't have time to. To see how many yards each player had from pass, from where the pass originated to where the pass was caught with just taking yards after the catch out of it completely. I, I think you would have seen Mariota you know, be about the same or maybe even better than Jared Goff in that game because Goff didn't throw a lot of long passes. And again, I'll touch on that in a minute. But the difference between these two players in this game was that Goff had guys catching and running with the ball after they caught it. You know, That was a big thing. Uh, you know, in this game for the Rams, big reason why they beat us. Failure to convert. This comes down really to one drive, and you all know the drive I'm talking about. We got down to the one-yard line, and we ended up kicking a field goal from 12. That's not where we want to be. That's not how we need to handle business. We score that touchdown, tie football game. At the end of the game, it would have been a tie football game if we score that touchdown. Instead, we kick a field goal. That is something that's going to have to change. We're about to play a very good Jacksonville team, and if we win that, we're going to be playing in the playoffs you know, against probably another very good Jacksonville team. But if we keep going, it's only going to get harder. You know, After that, it's going to be the Patriots. After that, you know, who knows, but it's going to be tough games all the way out. And next season, um, too, is included in this. We need to be able, when we get in the red zone, we need to put points on the board. We need to put touchdowns on the board. That was, you know, seeing us get down to the one-yard line, a power-running team, and not be able to get in was pretty devastating. The next thing, Todd Gurley single-handedly won this game for the Rams. Well, let's say him and the referees single-handedly won this game. But, I mean, he was fantastic. Had 276 total yards. That was 69% of the Rams' yards in that game. Nearly 70% of the yards in this game came from Todd Gurley. That's insane. That's insane. The the amount you know if if we take him out of this game, not only do we beat the Rams, we demolish the Rams. We would have beaten them by you know touchdowns on touchdowns on touchdowns. You know, we would have beaten them by a lot. You know, it's he dominated this football game and the screen game was the big part. We saw him have a lot of success throwing that screen pass. We did our defense did not read it well, we did not react well. The ADR touchdown was on a screen pass. He also had multiple first downs off screen passes in this game. Killed us all game long. Something that I'll bring up later when we talk about this Jacksonville game, because trust me, Jacksonville watched this game. 
they watched the tape on this. They saw how bad we played against the screen pass. So expect to see it, you know, in this coming week. And then another thing I really hated seeing was McCain, you know, late in this game, really shit in the bed. I mean, that's all you can say. He had a very stupid penalty on a play he did not need to hold. He held, got the penalty, and that moved them down, um, down the field in a big chunk, and then was beat on a TD uh, that ended up costing us the game. You know, that Cooper Cup uh, TD, McCain was covering, and then before that he had a holding call, which he didn't even need to hold. The ball was overthrown. Like, if he didn't even touch the receiver, he wouldn't have been able to get there. And those two things set up them scoring the game-winning drive. So, obviously, McCain's not the guy that we want to have on the field. has to do with the injuries that we've had um, along our uh, secondary. But it just sucked to see him you know, play so poorly late in the game, and it really cost us. But there were some good things. There were some good things to take away from this. Things I did like. Obviously, Casey forcing the fumble... And then Wesley Woodyard scooping up and scoring. That was awesome. Fantastic. It was a fantastic play that gave us the lead early in this football game. But two of the true leaders on this defense. I'm very impressed by this play. It was just perfectly executed. Casey getting the pressure, forcing the fumble. Woodyard there to make the play, scoop it up and score. Perfect play. You know, the hats off to those two gentlemen for both making a very heads up, very great play that really helped us out in this football game. The defense stood up against the pass, and I know it doesn't look like that when you look at the stats, but as earlier stated, Gurley's dominance in this game was huge. He was responsible for a lion's share of the yards. Without Todd Gurley, Goff's stat line would have looked like this. 10 for 26. That's awful. That's well below 50%. Awful. 143 yards and two touchdowns. Now, the two touchdowns is an outlier. That does look good, but 143 yards does not. He only completed one pass. Jared Goff only completed one pass in that game that traveled more than 14 yards downfield. One. That is insane. Now, that doesn't include the passes that were caught and ran. I'm talking about the ball was in the air for 14 yards or more. One in the entire game that he complete. We stood up against Jared Goff. The problem is, is we did not stand up against Todd Gurley, and that really hurt us in this football game. But I was impressed with how well our secondary did playing the deep ball. A lot of incompletions down there. A lot of guys did not have good games outside of Todd Gurley. You know, no one really looked that good against us outside of Todd Gurley on this entire team. The other thing was rookies showed up. Adoree's been, you know, showing up in a lot of games, so it's not like this is the first time he showed up or anything, or you know, it really even a change. But he had some really great returns in this game. He was three for 109 yards on returns. That's a 36.3 average. You know, very good, very good performance by him. You know, those kind of plays really can change a game when you're talking about field position. And he showed up for us in a big bad way. He also played very good in the secondary. Or not, he was good. I'll say that he was good in the secondary. Uh, Davis. Corey Davis looked really good in this game. It was the first time in a long time that I was like, wow, man, he came out to play, looked good, was starting to get more separation. He had six catches for 91 yards on nine targets, was our leading receiver in the game. He looked good. You know, it's a very good game, Um, especially for, like, a rookie that has had an up-and-down season, had injuries, hasn't been performing the best, you know, is failing to get separation. I've been hitting on him hard about that the last few weeks. If you've been listening, you know. 
this week he looked good. He looked ma- a massive improvement. And he looked really good in this game. was a big uh, uplift for us to have a guy like that that could be a big difference maker. So there were some good things to take away, a lot of bad things in this game. But overall, like I said when I started this segment, we played a really solid game against a really great team in the NFL right now. This is not – we lost three straight weeks. This is not in the same category as those first two games, and it shouldn't be in your mind. Those two games we played poorly against bad teams. Although you can argue the 49ers with Garoppolo's damn good team, but two poor performances. This was a solid performance. You know, there's a lot of things we could have done better. Marcus could have limited the mistakes a little bit better. We could have converted in the red zone. We could have made that field goal um, that we missed. There was some stuff that we could have done better. But overall, we hang really tough and really close with a very good football team. You know, that might have the MVP and Todd Gurley. Let's look at the playoff picture now, though. I think most of us have it down, but we'll go over it real quick. Right now, the Titans set in the sixth seed with the Ravens a game up and the fifth seed uh, and the Bills and the Chargers tied with Tennessee. It's real simple right now. It's been complicated the last few weeks. I know I've tried to simplify, but this one's easy. Titans win, they're in. That's it. We win, and against Jacksonville, we are in. If the Titans lose, they need the Bills to lose at Miami and the Chargers to lose as they host the Raiders. So not... I mean, Miami's had a real up-and-down, real rocky year, but it's not far-fetched that they'll beat the Bills. Um, the Raiders, again, you know, not what we expected from them this season, but they've been middle of the road. Not crazy to think they'll beat the Chargers, but let's not rely on that. Let's go get a win um, you know, the NFL has set it up, so the Ravens, Titans, Chargers, and Bills all play in the afternoon games. You know, they also got rid of that night game uh, this week. That way we can it, – it's all on the line at the same time. I think that's kind of cool. It builds more excitement, although it would be nice if the Bills and Chargers played a little earlier and they both lost and we knew that we <laughs> we didn't need to win this game. But, yeah, for excitement purposes, I think it's a good choice. As for the Ravens, they host – the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not. We're not putting our eggs in that basket. The Ravens, I think, are going to win that game. Take care of business. That defense is playing as good, if not better, than every defense in the league right now. So they're going to handle their business. We need to go out and handle ours. It does get a little trickier here, though, and it's because Jacksonville has decided that they will not rest their starters. Doug Marone came out this week and has stated that he has no plans to rest his starters. This does make it a little harder on us. And we'll talk about this in depth later. But obviously this is going to make it a little bit more difficult. They've been playing pretty well, you know, losing last week obviously. But they've been playing pretty well throughout the season. It's not going to be an easy team to beat. We'll talk about that more later though. Let's go into the news. We do not have any good news, which sucks this week. DeMarco Murray is the big one. Has a grade 3 MCL tear, which if you don't know, grade 3 is the worst. It is a complete rupture of the ligament. Uh, he's right now listed a day-to-day. Um, they said he's going to be probably a game-time decision. But playing on that leg, uh, you know, th- he- there's two sides to this. Coach Malarkey's already said it's more about pain tolerance than it is about effectiveness or inability to play. That's true. That is true. It's more about the pain tolerance that you can handle, and you're still going to be able to make your cuts. You're still going to be able to run. So that's definitely true. But playing on a leg with an MCL tear a complete MCL tear like this one is, greatly increases your risks of an ACL tear. So playing on this is 
I mean, you're you're really putting your all your eggs in one basket. You're like, you know, you can play in this, and if you get hurt, then it's Derrick Henry's show for the rest of the you know, postseason. If we get in, it's all Derrick Henry. That I mean, that's dangerous, and it's not good for Demarco Murray. But if he's willing to make that sacrifice, then I think I'd let him. If I was a coach, if I'm, I'd tell him, you know, you play with this, you have a good chance of tearing your ACL. You do, just a fact. You know, you have a good chance of it. Um, not not a good chance of it, but a much better chance than you would if you had an intact MCL. But, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to play. I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. If you can handle the pain and you want to play, then play. It, it's just it's dangerous. You don't want to see a guy go down. You don't want to see a guy get hurt. We do want to get in the playoffs, though. And, you know, we know the kind of player that DeMarco Murray is. We know that he's a guy that will sacrifice. So I think you will see him. But don't expect... Murray to come in as the starter. Henry's going to play the majority of this game. Murray, if he does play at all, will be in small spots here and there. They're they're going to want to use him, but even then, you're not going to want to use him a lot. You're not going to go out there and just be like, all right, let's go tear this ACL. Obviously, you're not going to do that. So you're going to see him in spots. You're going to see him in limited use. So don't expect to see a lot of DeMarco Murray, even if he does play. Derrick Henry's still going to be the starter for this game. But that's really the only news that we have this week. Let's move on to this Jacksonville game because we have a lot to cover in it. Jacksonville's 10-5 and right now, coming to Nashville to play the 8-7 and Tennessee Titans. The spread right now set at 3.5, obviously in Jacksonville's favor. Let's look at the injury report here. Obviously, the Titans have DeMarco Murray, who you know is going to be a game-time decision. Uh, also, Titans have Logan Ryan. Who has yet to participate this week in practice so far, you know, as of Wednesday. But... It does look like he's going to start participating by the end of the week and should be in the lineup on Sunday. That's the word that we're getting right now. We'll see how it works out, but it's looking like he will be likely to be in this game, which obviously is great news for the Tennessee Titans. And for those who haven't seen it, Wesley Woodyard and Avery Williamson were both playing with the flu this last game. That should be cleared up, though, by the time we play this Sunday. And it didn't stop either of them from playing last week, so it shouldn't this week. Um... There are some other people that are on the injury report for us, but all of them look like they're good. They're going to end up playing, so I'm not even going to bring them up, not even talk about them, because we got to get into the Jags injury report, and it is a lot longer than ours is right now. Obviously, Marquise Lee, ankle, didn't play last week, didn't practice in the last two days. It doesn't look good. It, do, it looks like Marquise Lee's probably not going to play at, at this point in time. They have a lot of other guys at important positions that look like they're going to be questionable for this week. Blair Brown, their linebacker, rookie linebacker. Cam Robinson, tackle. Uh, Alan Hearns, obviously their wide receiver. Jalen Strong, I think we've all seen the injury. Their wide receiver's not going to be playing already put on IR. There's a lot of guys for the Jaguars. That's just a short list. Those are the important names. There's a lot of guys that are questionable for the Jaguars this week. But that did not stop Doug Marone, as I said earlier, from saying that he's not going to rest any starters. I pulled a quote from Doug Marone because I thought it was interesting. When he was asked if he was going to set anybody or, you know, not play his starters, he said, make no mistake about it, just just so there is not a lot of talking during this week, when players come in 
and he's obviously talking about Wednesday there. When the players come in, we are talking about how we are going to play to win and do everything we possibly can do to win this game, period. I'm not even thinking about what happens beyond that, and that is the way we are going to go about our business this week. That is what Doug Marone had to say on the matter. I, I don't think it's a good idea, personally, for the Jaguars. I, you know, I hope it doesn't work out for them because I like to see the Jacksonville lose. But you have a lot of guys that are hurt. You have a lot of guys that you need to rehabilitate. You have a team with a defense that's capable of making a run, possibly, and you're going to jeopardize that. Um, you know, your run in the playoffs just to beat the Titans in the week last week of the season. I mean, more power to them. I think we still have a team that can come out and compete, so I'm not that worried about it. You know, obviously it does suck because it was going to be nice just to walk into the playoffs, and we're going to have to battle to get in there. But if we can't win this game to get into the playoffs, do we really want to be there in the first place? You know, if we can win this game, though, against their starters, we'll likely play them next week. We'll likely end up playing this team next week, which means we can have a chance to beat them three times in one season. You know, we haven't done that since 1999. It's only happened 17 times, I think, in NFL history where a team has beaten another team three times in one season. We'll have that opportunity, and we'll be coming off of a win against them. We know that we can do it again. So that's obviously very exciting, you know, a potential chance to do what we did to them in 1999 all over again. Very exciting. But, you know, Doug Marone's the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am not. He makes the decisions there. He is not going to rest a banged-up team when he has no reason to play. They're going to come out and play. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if this is underhanded. If we see Blake Bortles come out and play two drives, and then he's out, and Fournette's out, and, you know, guys start jumping out of the game, uh, that wouldn't surprise me that, oh, we're going to start our starters, you know, but we're going to pull them a little bit later. I'm not going to say that, you know, but we're going to pull them. That wouldn't surprise me, especially if Tennessee gets off to an early lead in this football game. It wouldn't surprise me to to watch them give up on the game rather than hurt players. You know, I don't, I'm not... I can't see into Doug Marone's mind, but I've seen guys do this before. Late in the season, say they're not going to pull their starters, and then they do pull their starters, like, you know, a couple series into the football game. You know, by the end of the first quarter, it's all backups. So we'll see if Doug Marone's true to his word and they're going to start all game long or not. That's going to be tough. But we're going to plan, in this show, we're going to plan as we're facing the starters, just as I'm sure. Mike Malarkey and his coaching staff are coaching this team as if they were going to play the starter. So let's go to the keys to the game. And I switched up the way I did games a little bit. We'll see if you like it. Let me know. Reach out to me on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Let me know if you like this changes that I've made. First, our keys to this game on defense. Shut down the run. This is obvious, but we need to limit uh, Fournette's ability to run the ball. Also, Corey Grant, who many of you might not know, but this guy played at Auburn. He's very sneaky fast, and he's a guy that they like to use in certain situations to to really change the pace, and he's had some success on some long plays this year. He's turned out to be a bit of a weapon for this Jacksonville team, so definitely something I'm going to be watching out for. But Fournette, you know, is, is the guy that you really need to stop. We did a fantastic job of slowing him down and really shutting him down the last time we played Jacksonville. We need to do that again. Limit Bortles effectiveness. This starts with the pass rush, but since our pass rush has serious limitations, the brunt of the work is going to be on the secondary. Bortles has shown this year that he has the ability to be effective when he has the time. 
you know, he has had pretty good games this year. You have to admit that it's more than just a blind, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again. He he's put a, together a couple really good performances every now and then. If you let Bortles have the time and he has the open windows, he's going to make plays. That means LeBeau needs to be creative with his blitzes this week, so we actually get home, you know, hit Bortles, make him uncomfortable, force him into bad passes, which isn't hard to do with Blake Bortles. We just have to be able to get the pressure there. Also, our banged-up secondary did a good job last week, as I said earlier, when the passes were down the field, everything but um, Todd Gurley. We defended well. They need to repeat that performance this week and also figure out how to limit yards after the catch. That's a big one, especially on screens. If I'm making this observation, you know, just as a fan of the game who, you know, happens to be, you know, a sports journalist and a podcast host, then the Jacksonville Jaguars are smart enough to make this observation. They have seen how effective that screen game worked against us last week. We need to be able to counteract that because they, like I said earlier, they have a guy there, Corey Grant, that is sneaky fast. If they dump off screens then, we need to be making the plays right away, not letting him get down the field because he can hurt you quickly. He's very, very fast in a straight line speed, so he can get down the field quickly and he can hurt us bad. So we need to be able to a lot better at reading and shutting down those screen plays. You know, that's that's going to be a big part of, of this game is the three things on defense, shut down the run, limit Bortles' effectiveness, learn how to figure it out, to limit yards after the catch, especially on screens. As for the offense, a big thing is going to be limiting Mariota's mistakes. You know, last week we saw him throw that bad interception. We saw him miss... You know, that um, a wide-open Delaney Walker on fourth down, that's something that's going to have to change. That You know, we need to be able to play mistake-free or very close to mistake-free football this week, and we absolutely need to. That's going to be, like, a big factor. This defense, you know, they've had a couple weeks where they haven't been as impressive, but they're still a really, really good defense, one of the best in the league, and, we that, you know, we need to be able to limit the mistakes. We can't let this defense hold up the offense we need to keep this defense you know on their heels and keep the ball in the field and that's my next one is win time of possession it's going to be a big key for us and you know it's an old school stat and a lot of people say it doesn't come into play anymore it's going to come into play in this game you're talking about two teams that like to run the ball against quarterbacks that are having shaky performances you know if if you look statistically Blake Bortles has been better than Marcus this year I know that hurts to hear trust me it hurts to say but it's hard to argue against. We need to be able to win time of possession. Keep their defense on the field. Jacksonville's success comes when their defense doesn't spend a lot of time on the field. They're forcing three and outs. They're forcing turnovers. Putting their offense in a position where they can't fail. We need their offense to be starting every drive inside their own 20 or inside their own 30. And force them to move the ball against us. When... Um, field position, which, you know, our good boy Brett Kern with that iron leg of his is going to come into a big play in this game. You know, this is a game that we're going to be very happy that we have a a fantastic punter in, I'm sure, because we're going to play field position. You're talking about two offenses that are overmatched by the defenses that are going to be playing. So field position is going to become vitally important. We need to win time of possession. We need to keep their defense on the field. We need to be able to win. In games this season, when Jacksonville has under 26, um, 26 minutes of possession in a game, they've lost every single game. They're averaging right now 32 minutes 
a game of possession. So if we get them to the point where they their defense is on the field a lot, their offense isn't getting you know long drives, they're not getting the opportunities uh, to move the football down the field, then we're going to win this game. That's an easy win. We did it very well in the last game, by the way. Very well in the last game. Their defense stayed on the field a lot. And even when they were winning time of possession, because they were at certain points of the game for sure, we were scoring so fast that it didn't matter. You know, if we go out there and score like that, then it doesn't matter. Like, let's not even worry about time of possession. Throw it out the window. But I doubt that that's going to be the case on every drive. So we need to win time of possession. Make their defense tired. Especially when you have a guy like Derrick Henry starting in this game. Batter them. Early and often, batter them. Use Henry as the weapon he is. And just beat up that defensive line and those linebackers. And then go to the pass. You know, Start working things around. They're going to get tired. That's something that we obviously need to do. My last one is... Corey Davis needs to step up again. He played an excellent game last week. He needs to do it again. But he's not the only one. We need to move the ball around in this game. I'm looking... Corey Davis is my main point here, but this goes for all wide receivers. We need to move the ball around and play matchups. We need to get our star players in favorable matchups. We need to be moving Corey Davis around. We use motion a lot because it's easy for Marcus then to read what the defense is doing and and see you know where his matchups are going to be. That's going to be critical in this game. Use it a lot. I would be okay with us motioning on every single every single down. If we motion on every single down, that's fine. Because we get to read their coverage. We get to see where they're moving from, where they're moving to. Are they in zone? Are they in man? Who's got Delaney Walker? Is it a safety? Is it a linebacker? Who's going to be playing on Davis on this play? We get to see all of that stuff. So I'm okay with keep doing it. You know, Marcus seems to do better on plays when we run motion than when we don't. So why why not do it? Also, get getting Marcus to the line. This is something that we've saw, you know, a lot more, a lot lately in these games. Is we like to get Marcus to the line earlier, let him set up, let him figure out, you know, where's my matchups at? Who's on this guy? What kind of defense are they running? This is going to be a man. Get all of those pre-snap reads out of the way. Marcus is young. He'll get to the point where this is very quick from him. He comes up to the line. He's like, all right, this is. You know, they're obviously cover two here. Look at the safety is up high. You know, he's going to get to that point where it's fast. Right now he's young, though, and it's not that fast. Give him that time. No huddle, like pretty much the whole game. It's not a hurry-up offense. Don't get me wrong. It's not a hurry-up offense. It's just no huddle. Get to the line and then take 10, 15 seconds before the snap so Marcus can get all that pre-snap read. And when we do that, Marcus has had a lot more success. He's thrown a lot less interceptions since we started doing that than he was beforehand. I think that's going to be a big key to our success. Give him that extra time to see where everybody's at and then, you know, move the ball around, like I said. I, I want to see everybody get some catches in this game. I want to see his play matchups. It's a very good defense, but there's still holes. Every defense has holes. They have weaknesses. We need to exploit the weaknesses on this Jacksonville's defense. The way you do that is you play matchups. You figure out where their best players are and you throw away from them. And, and that's I expect us to do a lot of that, you know, in this football game, exploit matchups. My last two here is I'm going to finish this sentence for you. Tennessee will win if, and Tennessee won't win if. Tennessee will win if we shut down the run and win time of possession. That's just a fact. If we do what we did last week, or last time we played Jacksonville, excuse me, in week two, if we control the run and shut it down like we did then and win time of possession... It's a win. It's for sure Tennessee's going to win. We will lose if 
Tennessee doesn't finish off drives, which we've you know we saw last week. We've seen all year long. We're not finishing off drives, and if we turn over the ball, we cannot afford to turn over the ball a lot in this football game. This is a very good defense, and their offense really only scores when they have the shorter fields. You know that's when they make their money because this offense isn't high powered. They're not that good. So in order to win this football game, we never we need to let their offense never get on our side of the field or never start on our side of the field so they have long drives and they don't get the opportunity to move the ball down a short field and pick up easy points. So that's the way. That's the way we're going to win. That's the way we're going to lose this football game. I think time of possession is an overrated stat in 99.9% of games nowadays. This game, however, I think it's going to be important. I, you know, I think it's going to be very important. Two things I want to cover before we get out. Uh, Jim Wyatt tweeted this earlier about Adoree Jackson. I thought it was an interesting stat if you haven't heard it. One of three. Adoree Jackson is one of three AFC cornerbacks with 60-plus tackles and 15-plus passes defensed. That is 65 um, tackles and 15 passes defended for uh, Adoree Jackson. So pretty good numbers. This is something I wanted to bring up because I know – some people have been up and down on him. You know, some people... I think most of us realize how good he has been, you know, in the, his young time here. Uh, also, I put out a Twitter poll. It's not over yet. Still a lot of time to go, so go vote on it. Because I've been seeing a lot of this. You see it every single year. Someone moves on, a player moves on to a different team, and fans of that team start burning jerseys. We I just saw one this morning of James Harrison where, you know, obviously he left to go to the Patriots. Someone burnt his jersey. It happens each and every year you see guys, you know, they're burning jerseys because a guy left here or there or he said something or something. So I asked the question, would you ever burn a jersey? Is there ever a scenario where you personally would burn a jersey? Your your answers are, already have, I would if a player left, only in extreme cases and never it is stupid. Right now, with 19 votes in, and I just put it up like an hour ago, 19 votes in, 95% of you said never. It is stupid. 5% said only in extreme cases. Nobody has said I already have or what if a player left. So I'm glad to see not a lot of crackheads in uh, Titans universe because me personally, even if a player slighted us, like I paid money for that jersey. I'm not burning it. What does that show the player? That player does not care. You think James Harrison... Well, first off, you think he even knows that you did it? Like, Joe Blow burnt the jersey? And even if it comes across him, you think he's going to be like, damn, that really hurts my feelings. You think it's going to affect him at all? Absolutely not. The only person you hurt when you burn a jersey is yourself because you threw money down the drain. You bought something, and then you caught it on fire. <laughs> I mean, like, you're the idiot here. No one else is the asshole. You are the asshole. So, in my opinion, it's dumb. But if you want to burn your jerseys, hey, it's your property. Go ahead and burn them. That's all the time that we have this week. Uh, I'm glad all of you out there are listening. Hope you had a great holidays. Hope you have a fantastic New Year's. I hope that New Year's is capped off with a win. Tennessee, let's go out there and handle our business this week. You can find the show at www.ttupodcast.com. Also find us on Twitter and Facebook at TTU Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the Ryan Moreland. I'm posting out a lot of stuff, you know, in this winter break. I'm using it to my advantage to get a lot of work done, a lot of work out there. So I'm going to be posting stuff pretty constantly if you want to go ahead and, and add me. Also, however you listen to the show, be sure to give us a five-star review. 
Always love getting them. If you like hearing the show and want to hear more of it, go ahead and give us that five-star review. Thanks a lot, everybody out there, for listening. We will be back next week. Hopefully, we'll be back next week to talk about some Tennessee Titans playoff football. It's been a long time since we got that opportunity, folks. So, Tennessee Titans, go out there. Let's handle business. Kick some Jaguar ass. Let's tighten up. <laughs>